and welcome to Trees A Crowd. My name is David Oakes and this is a podcast for those of you who, like me, think that our natural world is incredible. For those of you who are not aware, my day job is appearing on the international stage and screen, predominantly pretending to be morally dubious historical arseholes, and as such get to see quite a lot of the world. This podcast, therefore, is one way I attempt to assuage my guilt at having to travel quite so much. But it also means that today's episode is the first of a collection of podcasts that I recorded over two months I recently spent in Southern Africa. Expect upcoming episodes on hippos, great white sharks, and, perhaps surprisingly, panda bears. Today's episode, however, is about rhinos. Desert-adapted, free-ranging black rhinoceroses, to be precise. Dicarus bicornis bicornis, or bicornis occidentalis, depending upon who you're talking to. Save the Rhino Trust Namibia has existed for over 40 years. Their mission statement is to monitor and conduct research on the black rhinos in the northwestern part of Namibia, known as the Kunaini region. It is an incredibly hostile desert environment that supports very little life. The black rhinos there have adapted thanks to a tolerance for a very special plant that even white rhinos cannot stomach, but what they have not adapted to survive is the increasing threats of human poachers, but more on both of those aspects of rhino survival in a wee while. Most of what you're about to hear comes directly from the mouths of the SRT rangers and trackers, a formidable group of men and women who last year clocked up a collective 51,426 kilometres on foot monitoring the Kanani black rhino population. That is 1.2 times around the earth, but in a desert. As you will hear, SRT places community involvement right at the centre of its practice, but I will leave their COO to tell you more about that. So, without further ado, this is Trees A Crowd, and this is the account of my time in a desert with Save the Rhino Trust, Namibia. In the depth of the forest, an old oak root, the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his branches, the ivy her mantle threw when the forest boughs were bare. Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh, the oak and the ivy, oh. So I'm Andrew Malharbo. I am the Chief Operating Officer of Save the Rhino Trust Namibia. Being the COO means that I do a little bit of everything. Spend a bit of time in the field with uh, field teams, tracking rhinos. But the majority of my time is spent in the office in Swakopmund. Have you become a good tracker? Are you as good as everybody else? I do not think so. No, I don't think I'm anywhere near the level of uh, some of our staff members and rhino rangers. Um, <laughs> so what kind of rhinos are you looking after at SRT? black rhinos, free-ranging black rhinos, the southwestern subspecies. These rhinos are unique in terms of their position in Namibia. So when I, mean, when I talk about free-ranging, I mean that they are existing outside of national parks, okay. outside of any formally protected areas. There's no fences, no boundaries, and they move around and amongst uh, community members um, and communal conservancies. What do the people think of the rhinos? Do they mind them? Do they like them? Are they a benefit to the community? I think, David, by and large, the people of the Kuneni region are in favour of black rhinos moving around in their areas. Um, I think this is for a couple of different reasons. Economic benefits uh, through tourism and job creation. I think there's also this kind of 
intangible aspect of pride for for wildlife mm-hmm. um, and pride at having this only free-ranging large population of, of black rhino walking around on their doorstep so sure. to speak and and to be able to to look after that i think that's a source of pride for them how big is the area that these rhinos are within roughly twenty-five thousand square kilometers um Put that in layman's terms about the size of wales that's quite big it's pretty big yeah big place so am I right in saying that there are sort of two kinds of ranger that SRT uses to track and to monitor the population? Yeah, so this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Um, SRT has, we have our own core staff of trackers and drivers, uh, field staff, camp staff, etc. Um, these people perform the rhino monitoring function um, that SRT is, is known for and which is our core function as an organisation. And then there's the other cohort, the Conservancy or Community Rhino Rangers. Now, the rhino rangers are employees of the conservancies where they come from. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're salaried employees, um, they have employment contracts. And Save the Rhino Trust supports them to get out into the field and to do the rhino monitoring of the rhinos which occur in their own conservancies. So we work with 13 communal conservancies. Um, they are all rhino custodians. What is a, what is a conservancy? So a conservancy it's a phrase that we a, don't have back home, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Uh, so conservancies are parcels of land where people, the local people who live on that land have got together and petitioned government to receive the same user rights as a private farmer would have over his natural resources. So mm-hmm. that's user rights over wildlife and user rights over tourism. It's a formally constituted entity. So they have a bank account, um, they're able to receive funds, and they are managed by a recognized constitution. So essentially it's a a form of, almost the purest form, I guess, of rural democracy, managed by a conservancy committee that is elected from the members, from within the members that live in that area. These people sit for a period of about three years, and they are the ones that... Um, and they get a salary to represent the Conservancy? They do not. They oh, are they not. volunteers. Okay. Um, but the Conservancy, if it makes enough money, they employ permanent staff. Okay. Um, so there'll generally be a Conservancy manager, natural resource coordinator, sure. and game guards, community game guards. And then if they are a rhino range Conservancy or rhino custodian Conservancy, rhino rangers too. How do they work together, the ranger team that SRT directly employs and creates and the rhino rangers from the conservancies? Sometimes... Is it like a sort of mentorship that they go out sort of hand in hand and, and, and teach each other? Or? Exactly. So SRT will provide training to new rhino rangers, uh, basic rhino monitoring training, which looks at sexing of the animal, filling out the ID forms, um, how to use the equipment correctly while on patrol, so GPS, ultra zoom camera, etc. Um, and then we send out often more experienced rangers, more experienced SRT trackers uh, with the rhino rangers um, in order to provide some on-the-job training. Okay. Um, sometimes there's joint patrols which happen, but generally uh, the rule of thumb is that the conservancy rangers patrol within their own conservancies. So they bring a bit of local knowledge to the, to the floor as well? Yeah. Exactly. A uh, bit of local knowledge and I think a bit more impetus to, to report any suspicious behaviour. Um, because it's, it's their area, it's, it's their conservancy, it's their rhinos. Are they armed? No. no. Why not? Is it not dangerous out there with lions and elephants? And 
potential poachers. Yeah, I think that um, of course, absolutely, it's 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 dangerous. Um, so SRT and Rhino Rangers patrol with a with a Nampol officer, a Namibian police officer, on each patrol. So ordinarily, the composition of a patrol is is three people. Um, you have the two rangers or two SRT staff or one SRT staff and one ranger, mm-hmm. and then an Nampol officer who is weaponized. So the partnership with the Namibian police came about as a result of a direct government order. This was as a result of an extreme sort of year of poaching in like 2012 or something. It was an extreme couple of years of poaching. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And so the government sat up and took notice and recognized that this is something that is definitely in need of some some armed response. Uh And SRT needs to have armed members uh, on patrol with it when they're out in the field. And so the result is we have a barracks, a Nampol barracks at our um, at our office or at our field base, sorry, in, in, in Palovach. Mm-hmm. And these people are deployed with our teams. Uh, so they make up the third person of the ranger team, out of the three-man team. As well as protecting the habitat and the animals on the ground, you also help with scientific research and publish scientific papers. Is there anything particularly interesting that you and the SRT team have found recently about black rhino behavior? So we've recently published a paper um, which suggests that black rhinos give birth just before a particularly good rainy season. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, when the calves come out, they have enough food to eat. So we've seen that the birth rate uh, just before a good rainy season increases, which to us suggests that there is some some unknowable way that the rhinos figure out that it's going to be a good rainy season and they time their gestation period and their births uh, to coincide with that. Do we have any idea how they do it? Do we just think it's a mix of senses and smells and sounds and... We have absolutely no, no idea. idea. Like many other things in, in nature, we, we just simply don't know how they work and, and we are absolutely amazed when we, when we discover them through science that these things are actually happening and these animals are, have the ability to do this. Was that in partnership with Minnesota, who I know is one of your science partners? Or? It was in partnership with Minnesota Zoo. Um, and in fact, uh, our science advisor was the lead author, one of the authors sure, on sure. the paper. There's always about 12 of them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we have, a, we have a solid partnership with Minnesota Zoo. And in fact, Dr. Jeff Montefering is seconded over to SRT. Okay. So he lives in Namibia um, and he's a fantastic help and a, and a science uh, resource for our organization. I'm Leslie Gabicheva, working for Severano Trust. So we just caught sight of the first rhino of the day. And you've sent your team up to go and find it. Do you always send other people first so you keep safer further back? Yeah, the thing is that uh, those guys are the trekkers. Uh-huh. Who knows to trek? Yeah, they must always be upfront. Sure. Yeah, to make sure that I know is there and the wind direction is fine. So in order to avoid disturbances. Are they following footprints right now? Or are they just are they, getting a high vantage point to get a look down? Yeah, they actually want to go up the mountain to, to have a better view and see whether it's standing the other side of the mountain. So did you start off as a tracker when you started with SRT? Yeah, I started as a tracker in 2003 for more or less, let me say, six years. And then... I went from junior trigger to the senior trigger, and then slowly but surely I was promoted to a principal field officer. And now my current position is a director of field operation. So how many ranges and trackers does the 
SRT have on its books? SRT itself is consisting of maybe, let me say, 45 staff. Mm-hmm. And then including the community rhino rangers, which is about oh, 50 in total. So we have actually about 100 staff, field staff from SRD, including our community rhino rangers. The community rangers are from the local conservancies? Yeah, they? from the conservancies, yeah. And you train them up and they sort of... Uh, they've, been, uh, they've been trained by SRD and supported by SRD with uh, transportation, with uh, field rations, and then... Well, we've got a signal from up, up, up top. He said we must go drive around with vehicles. Maybe the rain is other side. So yes, uh, we picked up some fresh tracks. And these yeah. are the ones we saw earlier. He's, is he running? Is he walking? Uh, he's now walking. And looking at the tracks, you can see the individual toe marks. Yeah, he's very relaxed now. You know whether it will stand somewhere here or you just still continue? Sure. Uh, well, the plan is forward. You have to start tracking from here uh, some of the vehicle have to driving around and uh, the group on the ground have to track from here to see mm-hmm. whether you find him or not <laughs> just tell them they can follow us they can follow um, our tracks Jeez, man, these are decent. Well, these Renaults is back there. Not bad, are they? So, the Standard issue, SRC. <laughs> what are they looking for now, Leslie? One track passed by here. This one here. Mm-hmm. Looks fresh, but we are not sure whether it's the same one we, we spotted. Mm. How is it now? We have to confirm first. Which direction is going? Sure. Uh, if he's going this direction, then it's a different one. If it's this direction, that's it's the, the one same that we just saw. Yeah. There's lots of fresh dung that I saw on the way up just there. Yeah. Actually, the main spring, uh, all the animals used to drink in that spring. Where all the dung was all sort of together in a collective mound, is that because they use it as a toilet or because? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a midden. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, I mean, they, why are they dropping the dung together like that is the way they are communicating. Okay. Yeah, actually doing uh, those kind of drops close to the water points sure. because everybody is coming the, together there for drinking and as the way how they're communicating, especially females and males. Sure. Mm. How many rhinos do you think you use this uh, spring? Yeah, more than more than six rhinos. Okay. Yeah, using this spring here. And how many how many black rhinos are in the Kanani in general? Do we think? Uh, we actually we, we didn't do, do a census yet uh-huh. because the population was sort of going up and down due to drought and poaching. Sure. So we still have to uh, try to do a census and have a better uh, better idea how many they are. <laughs> but currently we we don't know how many they are. But it's actually the population is going up and down because of drought and poaching. Sure. <clears throat> I was hear- hearing that in the Canadian you've got a better track record recently with poaching compared to the rest of Namibia where poaching is on the rise here, hopefully as a result of the SRT, you're keeping the poaching numbers right down. Yeah, the thing is with our area, we actually working closely with the community, mm-hmm. which is another assistant from their side uh, through the Rhino Ranger program and awareness programs where we 
go into the community and uh, learn them or teach them the importance of the rhinos and all that, mm-hmm. and how they're going to benefit out of rhinos. So they do assist with uh, protection as well from that side. Sure. That's one, one of the reasons why we have been reduced our poaching in the area. Do you still get a thrill about coming out here and tracking and getting to see them, or do you think of black rhinos now as, as we think of cows back home? I've been in the in the industry for many years, time. and uh, I'm used to these animals. I'm just treating them as my own cows, and <laughs> even when I see it, I'm not even afraid of coming close to it. So, have you ever had any uh, hair-raising instances with them? Yeah, yeah, a couple of times, yeah, uh, but they they never injured me. Yeah, a couple of times where we have been running, climbing trees, and run up a mountain. And sometimes climbing up the roof of the car. Sure. Yeah, there's some guys within the SRD who got hit uh, by rhinos, but not that uh, serious. But so far, nobody was killed by a, li- by a rhino. Sure. Mm. I'm right in saying that the black rhinos have a slightly more uh, heated temperament than a white rhino, for example. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually is one of the dangerous rhino. Uh, comparing to a white one, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the ones here they are sort of living in the desert, uh, but they are actually still wild. They scared of people. Sure. So comparing to those ones living in the game reserves and in national parks, this one is still wild around here. They are wild. It's an interesting thing. The the amount of time I've spent in in Africa sort of moving from one reserve to another or going on a game drive here mm. there's something quite refreshing to actually be in a wild space that is communally owned by a conservancy mm. but the animals are still wild they're not fenced in they can roam and so most of the work that you do to try and whether you're doing a census or just trying to track them you have no idea where they're really going mm. or what they're really doing yeah it's, it's actually one of the the, the hard part where you can not easily uh, find all of them uh, even in a period of a month mm-hmm. because they are freely roaming. That's why SRD is trying the, uh, the very best to, to deploy the teams all over. Sure. Yeah, so we have about uh, more or less about 30 teams covering the whole area. Mm-hmm. Some of the teams have been dropped in the field and some of the teams are vehicle-based patrol teams. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we slept at a camp last night, obviously, and I think the guys are there for 20 days in a row, 20 days on, 20 days off. Yeah, 20 days. they actually are going out for 22 days out in the field, then getting 10 days off. Okay. Yeah. So when they're out here, what are they looking for in particular? Is it you walk on foot until you see a, a track or dung, or what? what's the sort of first step to yeah. finding a... Actually, when the guys are in on patrol, they starting to search for possible fresh tracks mm-hmm. on, the, on the springs on a daily basis where they can possibly pick up a spore here and start to track from here. Sometimes they do track for 30 to 40 kilometers per day, sure. <laughs> which is a long distance. And it is a desert. It gets hot during the day. Yeah, yeah. It's getting hot, but uh, here we, we actually like close to the ocean, which, which we can you can feel the breeze uh, yeah, coming yeah, in Yeah, fresh air coming from the ocean. What else is out here, animal-wise? Yeah, we we have 
animals like mostly animals who are surviving here is like springboks and uh, fencebok oryxes mm -hmm. and then lions are around but it's, it's difficult to find them as you can see the area is dry there is no many animals around here so they actually finding it difficult to hunt around here how do the black rhinos survive here then how are they well adapted to the deserts or have adapted themselves to the deserts as a necessity for survival. You see, a rhino is 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 a, is a browser. Mm -hmm. uh, black rhino is a browser, and a white rhino is a grazer. They are surviving from these small bushes on these trees, but actually, they, there is a plant we call Iphobia damarana, mm -hmm. where it's, it's like a common plant uh, in the area where they are surviving from. And a black rhino can stay for a week without water, just feeding on that uh, euphorbia damarana. It's funny because euphorbia back home is a quite a nice botanical plant that people uh, put in their gardens out here. It's a means of survival. Yeah. But I think it's, isn't it poisonous to most animals? Yeah, it's too, yeah, it's only, I think, it's only fed by uh, a rhino and a kutu, but other animals not. There's a nice mm. hooded crow over there. Yeah, yeah, bad crow, yeah. Is that a good omen for trying to find some rhinos? The main scavengers, yeah. Yeah. Do rhinos negatively impact local communities? Is that an issue? Mm -mm, never at all. Um, we never had an accident and an incident before where the communities was complaining about rhinos at all. The only thing is that some of the community members are scared of rhinos. Sure. They just, whenever they saw a rhino rooming in the area, just calling us and saying, there's a rhino around here. Please come and make a plan, remove the rhino yeah. from here. And but it's not like with lions where you have that negative animosity because they're, they're a nuisance and killing, yeah. killing herds or whatever. Yeah, like the only, yeah. destroying property. Mm, the lion is the only problem uh, animal around here. Even uh, it have been also had me uh, where it have been killing some of my goats. Yeah, this is actually is, uh, a high human wild conflict uh, within our area. Many of the communities have been lost their livestock from lions. Sure. Am I right in saying that in the early days of the SRT, Blythe, who set it up, was occasionally you sort of approaching the poachers and the, the people that were on the other side of it to come and work for SRT because of their expertise and understanding of the area and the animals? Or mm. am, I, am I making that up? Yeah, the thing, when, when SRT started, those people who was committing poaching it was actually not not for them to get rich. Yeah. It was actually just for for hunger, where they have been sometimes exchanging rhino horns with food. Sure. Yeah. And then that's where where Blaf have thought that uh, these people is just uh, committing poaching because of hunger. Let me employ them mm -hmm. uh, for them at least to get something from the trust, so that they can feed their family and all that. It was interesting talking to Andrew, the COO of the SRT. He's saying how the SRT provides school drop-offs for children, for the families of mm. the, the ranges, and provides, I would think it was interest-free loans if they need something for a say, yeah. funeral care or whatever. But there's a lot of sort of extracurricular stuff alongside the rhino poaching. You get uniforms as well, obviously, for the job, and mm. there's a certain amount of pastoral care that is provided. Yeah, the thing is that there is some of the there's good benefits for the staff from yeah. SRT. Yeah, like you say, is where they have been provided with uh, family rations. 
And then we have sort of uh, school traps where we're transporting children up and down from school to mm-hmm. to their homes on holidays. And then just another benefit is also our staff, once they go on their off days, they've been dropped at home. Sure. At their homes by SID vehicles. That's also one of the benefits of the staff uh, from the trust. That's actually one of the main reasons why the staff are enjoying uh, the trust um, due to those benefits. Why have you stayed with them for so long? The thing is that it's the job I started with. And I like I like the job itself. And it's actually keeping me busy sure. uh, instead of being in the streets and all that. To me, it's actually um, better to work with animals instead of working with people. <laughs> <laughs> because animals will never fight you. Sure. Yeah, the only thing that you have to avoid them, uh, don't try even to scare them or something. Sure. Try to create that peace with them mm-hmm. so that you can live together uh, very well. So I like to be with animals instead of people. I think I agree with you. <laughs> so from Leslie and his team finding our first tracks of rhinoceros, around two hours elapsed before we finally saw the animal that had left them. Young and skittish, he took flight as soon as he caught sight of us as we near silently watched him from atop a ridge some 100 metres away. He eventually made his exit at one hell of a lick, but not before the SRT tracker Denso Jurasso was able to record his identity. This, my first free-ranging black rhino, is currently known as Tuta 18. Tuta being his mother's name and 2018 being the year of his birth. So as you will shortly hear from Denso, Tuta 18 is so young that he has not yet been subjected to the Namibian government's dehorning program, one initiated to deter potential poachers. But take it from me, seeing a wild black rhino, proudly with his horns still intact, is quite a sight. Denzel, you're trying to take photos. What are you trying to document with the photos? What are you trying to get a picture of? So when I'm taking, the reason I'm taking photo, mm-hmm. so, um, I want to take some details from the rhino. So I want to know which rhino's name. Mm-hmm. So then I need to see the, the earmark so and the horn shape of the rhino. So, so am I right in saying the, the clips in the ears are put in when the rhinos are dehorned? Yeah. yeah. So some of them, they have national earmark. So the, this one is not uh, have dehorned and they don't have any earmark. It's okay. All the ears are clean. So he's a young'un? Yeah, he's a young. So it's the one we saw when he was running with the soul this morning. Okay. Yeah. So this one is very, uh, very shy bull. So you have only two options. Either he hit the sound, run away, mm-hmm. or either he start charging. Sure. Yeah. Are we pleased that he ran away from us rather than charged us? Yeah. If we, if we come closer, <laughs> then he see us, they can charge us. But the good things of the rhino is having good hearing and good smelling so the eyes is having bad eyes but not means that you cannot see anything but if you wear the bright color you can see from distance so that's why we are waiting to wear the color which is blind to the environment so if he's if he's a youngin does that mean his mother's still around too somewhere yeah mother is still around mother is having another baby okay yeah they stay with the calf for quite a while before they think about having another one yeah so it does it depends on uh on the vegetation, sure. 
So if the area is have a lot of food, they can stay with the mum for two to three years. Mm -hmm. So, but normally, so it will take uh, four to three years together with the mum. And so, so is this young male going to try and find his own territory at some point? Is so it? when he was uh, small, the, the mother teach the whole area. So because the time when the mother chase uh, him away, mm -hmm. then he know the area already. Okay. So he must know where must he go and get the the food. At what point will mother and son have no relationship whatsoever? So they they have a relationship. Even this one, you can go to where is the mother, and mm -hmm. they can stay together, but not together like this. Yeah. Like us, where we standing like this. So like maybe from here up to maybe that one. Okay. So they seem they so, they still uh, sharing their home. Twenty uh, meters away from yeah, each other. Yeah. I think that sounds like a very sensible yeah. relationship with one's parents. Yeah. Do you like rhino? I mean, that's a stupid question, but do you like them as an actor? So, me, me I like rhino. Yeah. So, the reason why I'm saying I'm like rhino, so for me, it, I think it will be very nice to be, uh, me to be in this area and mm. with the rhino. Now, I'm having even the kids which is in the school, so when they grow up, so they want also to see the rhino, like you come today and you want to see the rhino. Mm. So, it's a it's very interesting animals and most of people they want to come and see sure. rhino yeah is that a kind of a new thing since srt has started working with local communities and trying to engage people is is an interest in the animals increasing like do younger generations strive to be rangers like you like what yeah yeah there's there's some people uh, that uh, so when we retired or oh, so there's someone they come and take our position so because now we train some of the schools about mm -hmm. the rhino. So we teach them uh, what is the value of the rhino and why we protect the rhino sure. So for new generation. So most of people, they understand. So uh, some of them, they don't still understand, but we still going forward and try to, sure. yeah. How old are your children? The first one now is 17 years. Okay. And the other one is now 14. And there's a last born which is now seven years. Do you think they will become rangers? Or at least one of them? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm having three sons, so but I me me myself uh, I would try also to tell them in one of the day they will become a ranger. So Do you so think you still follow my footsteps? Do you think it should just be men as rangers or do you think there's space for women rangers as well? Yeah, we have uh, women rangers. Uh -huh. So I think maybe, yeah, she will become a woman ranger, so. That was my first day out on Rhino Patrol, and perhaps the only truly wild, truly mega, landlocked megafauna that I have ever seen. And so, with one successful sighting achieved, Andrew and I headed back to the SRT's base camp at Palamvak before another night camping out under desert skies. But back at base camp, I had the opportunity to talk to two other people who work alongside the SRT. Tommy Hall is a wildlife intelligence officer who runs an informer network in Namibia, and Pete Baitel is the chief conservation scientist for the Namibian government's Ministry of Environment, Forestry and Tourism, and is their national rhino coordinator. 
Both men were passing through Palamvac on their way to translocate an older male rhino in the far north of Namibia to a far safer area further south. And it is fair to say that they are both very different people and have very different roles to play in protecting Namibia's rhinos. But they seem to me, alongside the role that the SRT plays, as essential cogs in the rhino protection mechanism. You can hear their full interviews in a bonus episode of the podcast available next week or right now if you subscribe to us on Patreon. But as an insight into the world within which SRT operates, I thought it very important to include them here alongside Andrew, Leslie and the other SRT trackers. So first up is Intelligence Officer Tommy Hall. Who are the poachers? These just not the, the, the guys from other countries that are coming in here, which a lot of the local people think. It's not that. There's a lot of people who seem to, like if, say, if there was a river or across the border, everyone blames the people on the other side of the river for, for doing the, the horrible things. It's not us. It's not us over here. It's, no. It's, it's those guys. No. Some so you think there is a native Namibian problem with the poaching then? Some of the, the, the poachers, to start off with, are ex-police uh, uh, officers. Okay. who know everything about investigation and what is looked for and what is not looked for and how to hide uh, the evidence that will link him to the rhino. Sure. They are ex-military, the ex-South African military, the ex-military uh, uh, guys from uh, Angola and other guys who have got a hard life and want to have it easy and, and uh, sell yeah. the a rhino horn by killing the rhinos. They are part of uh, uh, the people. And then what I often say when they say it's always the, the foreigners and, then, and also what a lot of the people say, it's our tourists. Then I ask this question, how does this tourist know where the rhino is? Mm -hmm. You can't just come in into an area, even if you've got 10,000 hectare, go in there and find the rhino. You're going to walk around about 10 days, 15 days yeah. before you get. But these guys know exactly where to go, to which fountain to go, what to do. Two, three days, they shoot the rhino and then they're out. Yeah. So there is a lot of uh, involvement of local people of Namibia that are in it. Sure. And business people that are in it. Yes, that... It's the foreigners who buy this stuff, yeah. who encourage uh, uh, the salting. The demand, yeah. The, the demand for it, yeah. When the, the rhino poaching then started escalating and the guys were being caught, the price of the rhino horn rose as well. Sure. And at times, I think at the moment, a team will get anything between 30,000 to 80,000, the team. Yeah. And then they take the rhino horn and they will sell that rhino horn to the middleman and they will get something like 400,000 for it. And then it goes higher and eventually if they get it out of the country, it can go up to a million. So it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, so my name is Pete Beitel. Um, I'm the Chief Conservation Scientist with the Ministry of Environment, Forestry and Tourism. I'm the, the Head of Wildlife Research and I'm the National Rhino Coordinator for the country. Currently this population is a big worry for us because of, Andrew probably told you, the nine-year drought they've had. Mm -hmm. um, so this population has gone from 200 when I 
left because of good rains mm -hmm. to just uh, under 130 now. And that is the combination of poaching and a nine-year drought. Um, and that's an example of how easily with rhinos, because they're such a long-lived species, things can go downhill and then yeah. it's difficult to turn it around. But through SRT's dedication, luckily the last two years, the first years, um, in a while that they've had positive growth. Sure. Um, so the curve has finally started to turn. The thing that I found quite interesting, and it's a correlation of two things, it's the sort of the rain drought cycle which is about i don't know five to seven years you get a good five years a bad five years a good five years bad five years but then also the the rate at which a rhino reproduces is again between five and seven years like yeah. the calf will stay with the mother until the mother chases it out and then yeah. they'll get pregnant again and they'll and it takes a little while That's and if you add then poaching to that yeah. um and what the poachers did here when they came in they would target um, cows with calves because they would go to a spring and they would take the double spore mm -hmm. because it's two rhinos and invariably you would lose three rhinos at a time because that cow would be pregnant as well so with one poaching event you would lose three rhinos at a time and that is what set this population back and then you after the poaching was brought under control you had the severe drought where you lost all your calves and your old animals mm -hmm. and from there it's very difficult to come back so it's going to take SRT and this population another couple of years to, sure. and good rains, hopefully. Well, we had rain today. Yeah. I mean, not much, like 0.002 millimetres of it, but it's the last thing I expected when I came to the desert, so. Yeah, and, but now this damn westerly wind is blowing again. Mm. I remember staying here at Maigua, um, waking up and you'd see the rains on the horizon and then... They never quite make it over to the Canaan. <laughs> they can't get over that damn mountain. Yeah. <laughs> In the afternoon, the west wind blows them away. <laughs> We shall end this episode as we started with Andrew, but before that, I wanted to take you back into the desert one final time. Here I am, again with Leslie, on our second day out in the Kanani Desert together. We had just sighted another solitary male rhino, this time a nine-year-old called Arthur, who, as it turned out, was the father to Tutor 18, the rhino that we had seen the day before. Okay, so we've come back out again today to find some rhino. What time were you up this morning and out looking for? Uh, our, our departure time was around 7 o'clock. Uh -huh. We visited the same spring this morning we visited yesterday. Sure. Is where we actually picked a fresh tracks up. And uh, we tracked uh, that rhino about uh, 4 to 5 kilometers uh -huh. from the spring. And uh, luckily we found it. Do you always start at that spring from this camp that we're at? Is it? Does it? I mean, it obviously makes sense to come to the spring because that's where they congregate in the evening. But this is actually a spring in the in the in the central. It's a central spring where all the animals are coming together for for water. Uh -huh. So well, that's actually easier to start from there sure. from the spring. And there's been quite a strong drought in Namibia for the last seven or so years. So. Have some of the springs dried up? Is this the last sort of remaining? Yeah, we, we visited some springs a um, couple of days ago where many of, many of the springs is dried up uh -huh. due to a drought. And the, the animal that we saw this morning, it was a juvenile male, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a juvenile male, but it's also a dominant male, male in the area. Yeah. How old is he? He's about uh, eight, nine years old. Okay. How many males are in this area? Because I know there's obviously the, the juvenile we saw yesterday who was five five years old. Yeah, five years old. There's also another big bull. His name is Kadri. He's about uh, 
25 to 30 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do they clash? Or do they keep away from each other? The thing is that a rhino is a solitary animal. Uh-huh. They actually don't stay together like that. Actually, the, the, the thing is that uh, the young males are always pushing the older males out of the area. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they are not strong enough to find the young ones. Sure. <laughs> so at what point will Arthur, today's rhino, be challenged by his son, 2 to 18, who we saw yesterday? Uh, they, they actually like a family. Yeah, it's, it's difficult for them to challenge each other, I mean, or by chasing each other out of the area. We, another about three days, we also found them together okay. at the same spot. That's not normal, yeah. though, is it, to have... I mean, you said it yourself a second ago, that they're solitary creatures that roam off on their mm. own. By these times, they're coming together for... When, when the area, a certain spot in the area receives some rain, where they're yeah. gathering and grazing at the same spot together, sometimes happening like that. Okay. Do you mm. think they'll be friendly for long, or do you think it's coming to the point where the five-year-old's going to challenge uh, I think I think later on they're going to fight over females. Sure. Yeah. They were, they were definitely going to fight over females. And the home range as well. Because they will they never stay together forever like that. Sure. Yeah. Obviously there's a huge amount of area around that spring. Is it possible that when they start to challenge each other for territory that Arthur will be pushed further to find a new spring to base his territory around? or yeah, That's any... actually exactly what's going to happen. Okay. Whenever he's, he's going to be pushed away from other males out of the area, he's going to settle down somewhere where it can get, get water and, and enough food. Okay. Mm. And Tutor is the mother here in this area. Is there yeah. many other females as well as her? There are some other, other females, I think uh, three of them. One is Wageti, one is Mukalona. Yeah, there's some few females around here. Do you have a favourite? Should a, should a rhino ranger have a favourite rhino? Yeah, we, we, we do have favourite rhinos. I mean, because of their behaviours. Sure. So because the rhinos' behaviours are different. So what do you like? <laughs> do you like the skittish 2 to 18 of yesterday? Do you like the quite uh, resilient and strong but kind... <laughs> Uh, Arthur of today, or do you prefer something a bit more actually, aggressive? I actually like uh, a rhino who charging more because it's, it's very fun when the rhino is charging you, you're laughing around and try to enjoy it and all that. So we don't like this calm, calm rhinos who doesn't charge people. So, so to me, I like those ones. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoying those ones very much. That's fantastic. Mm. Well, thank you for a very wonderful two days of yeah, rhino ranging. Yeah, you, you are welcome. Um, and putting up with 30 plus degree heats and yeah oh, it's very hot around here well that rained last night no Did you have no, rain no. At your we camp? didn't receive anything we had rain at our camp we, Is all, it? we hadn't put up our waterproofs on top of the tent so i frantically heard <laughs> andrew and roddy get try and get out their waterproof covers <laughs> over the tent quick enough i just lay there and let the rain fall on my face uh, yeah, that's good i was just believing that it's a desert it's not going to rain for very yeah, long yeah it's this desert uh but the rhinos are used to this environment because they are there's an adapted black rhinos. I know that your background is one of sociology and anthropology. Yes. So why do you work for a rhino charity? Have you always loved rhinos? I mean I've always loved wildlife, um, from a very early age. I didn't necessarily 
think that I would join a wildlife conservation organization when I started studying it at university. I think my original intention was to become involved in sustainable development in Africa, mm -hmm. help to shape the development pathway in Africa um, on a more equitable footing um, and play some kind of a role in that. I didn't know exactly that I was going to go into wildlife conservation. And then when I moved to Namibia about 12, 13 years ago, I joined an organization called the Namibia Nature Foundation. Mm -hmm. And that introduced me to the concept of CBNRM, Community-Based Natural Resource Management, mm -hmm. and the fact that conservation can actually be used as quite an effective tool to, to support rural development and sustainable development. And that was, I guess, really when the, the bug kind of bit me. Sure. And I just started to, to jump into what I was doing, um, really appreciate uh, the legislation enabling policy legislation in Namibia, which enables local communities to benefit from their natural resources. It's a country where, which is quite unique in terms of that, tourism benefits, uh, wildlife utilization benefits. And I guess through that, I saw the link to helping to create this more sustainable pathway for African development. Is it fair to say then that you're running an organization that supports communities and that habitat and animals are a sort of byproduct of that? Which way around do you see it? Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily that in, in, in that order. But for me, people are absolutely essential for well-functioning ecosystems sure. and local people in, in particular. Um, and I think that we have a fantastic opportunity to, to really help to develop these local communities that are surrounding habitats of, of, of importance and to empower and capacitate local people in the protection of their own natural resources sure. and iconic species. And that's something that SRT does really, really well in terms of um, the outreach programs that we have, the Rhino Ranger program that we have. We really are passing the buck to local people to look after their own natural resources and their own rhinos. And we've seen some, some really fantastic um, success over the last couple of years. We haven't recorded one single poaching incident in the mm -hmm. area that we work in the size of Wales sure. um, for close to three years. And this is at a time where poaching is rife in the rest of Namibia. The government just released um, statistics a couple of months ago where um, it was relayed that uh, 2022 was one of the worst years on, on history um, if, of poaching in Namibia ever. But we didn't have a single animal that was lost in Kuneni in the area that SRT works in and the communities. And do you think that's just the rangers themselves being on the ground or do you think it's your message that's sort of reaching a wider audience? I think it's a combination of things, David, and it's really difficult to tease out which one is the most important out of all of those things. But yeah, for sure, boots on the ground and not just any boots on the ground. Critical is who fills those boots, local rangers, not bringing in people from outside, mm -hmm. community outreach projects. Um, so putting a positive message and a positive association on rhino out into the communities. Sure. So very often you hear black rhino, white rhino, and the first thing that you think of is a dead rhino with no horn on it. Mm -hmm. So how do we change that message? Um, You've got a football league, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, we put a football in front of people, yeah. Does uh, it have a rhino on it? <laughs> Stupid question. We, we, have, we have a rhino mascot, which is uh -huh. pretty cool. It was, he was um, created by a, a university in, in Wales. In fact, okay. A country the size of the area that we were. A country in. the size of the Canaanite Desert. <laughs> yeah. And so we have a rhino mascot jumping around. We have rhino messaging um, on the uniforms. Mm -hmm. So I think that these types of outreach approaches have, have, have really also gained a lot of traction. Are um, you worried potentially that your success at reducing poaching and yet with poaching on the rise elsewhere that you're going to draw poachers into your territory if you become an abundant supply of black rhino horn 
doesn't the risk go up that you're going to be approached more often by the unwanted? I think the, the, the risk of poaching is always there. Um, I think we should absolutely not become complacent in the work mm -hmm. that we do at SRT. And just because we haven't had any poaching incidents for the last three years doesn't mean that they're not going to occur and that the poachers have suddenly disappeared. Sure. They will always be interested in, in the Kuneni region. But So we were talking about different sort of mechanisms to combat poaching. So the boots on the ground, which is what we mentioned, yeah. the outreach, so reading programs, uh, football leagues, uh, dehorning as well is a strategy by the Namibian government. Sure. Which, and you help uh, them with that? So they decide when the dehorning takes place um, and SRT rangers and rhino rangers in the field the on the ranges. ground will, will, will find the rhinos. Okay. So they'll, they'll radio locations in and, and we, we definitely help them with that. So, so there's this kind of suite of approaches which all contribute to saving, to saving the rhinos, but they are not safe by, by any means and we, we need to keep up with what we're doing. What is the closest encounter or most interesting encounter you've ever had with a rhinoceros? So, driving through the desert, four people in my in my vehicle, two of them guests, two of them rangers, and we weren't necessarily seeking out a rhino. We weren't mm -hmm. looking for any trouble um, at all. I was driving on a on a on a dirt track road, and obviously concentrating on where I was going. And I got a tap on my back. Uh, it was one of the rangers saying to me, "Ray, Ray," translated as "drive, drive," um, with some sense of urgency in his voice. All of our windows were open because it was really hot, um, as it naturally is in the desert. Looked to the left of me and there was a black rhino charging down towards the vehicle. And he, <laughs> he, he got so close that I could hear the, the, the breath coming out, of his, coming out of his nose, his snorting. And the vehicle engine capacity that I was driving at the time was such that when I put my foot down, there was a slight delay in the <laughs> acceleration. So, yeah, that was, that, that was pretty much the, the, the closest encounter. Thankfully, the rhino veered off at absolutely the last second, so it was a mock charge. Um, but then he did something that was kind of cool. He ran around the back of the car and he trotted next to my window for a little bit before veering off into, into the distance. So that was pretty much the closest encounter that I've ever had with the black rhino. Amazing. Um, as you're here, there are three questions that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. First question, if you could go for a walk anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? I would like to go on a, on a walk anywhere, on any, on any beach, yep. maybe the Atlantic Ocean, but I'd like it to be with, with somebody that I haven't seen for a very long time, maybe like my passed away grandfather, something like that. C can I do that? Is that, yeah. is that possible? That's, can the walk be with somebody else? That's amazing. To share an environment with someone that you haven't seen for a long time is a lovely suggestion. That's what I would do. Who is your natural history hero? Conservation hero, does it have to be one person? Nope. I would say that the team that I work with at SRT. Okay. Um, so since coming on board, I've met some really fantastic people. Um, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with people that have really blown my mind in terms of their dedication, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> in terms of their fortitude, their ability to walk through the desert in blazing heat, yeah. sweating, following a rhino, which you may or may not find, people that have dedicated their lives to, to conservation of black rhino. And the story of SRT, which is 40 years long, is largely due to those people. And uh, super proud to be able to work with them and, uh, and be part of the team. So they are all my heroes. Final question. If yeah. you could bring any species back from extinction, what would it be? The dodo. Okay, why? I think it just got a terrible rap. <laughs> <laughs> 
completely unfair, completely unprepared and just got taken real advantage of. Plus, I've always really been interested to, to see one. Um, so it was the first kind of extinction animal, modern extinction animal that I learned about. Sure. I love the dodo. My grandmother was called dodo. That was her family name to us. Uh, so we've grown up in households full of cuddly dodos and dodo stickers on fridges and right. all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, one, one final question. Yep. Where next for SRT? What are, you, what are your plans moving forward? So we've just released our strategic plan next five years. What we're thinking of, um, well, obviously a whole bunch of stuff within the strategic plan. Quite exciting is the expansion over to Nyanyai, so that's in the northeast of the country. Mm -hmm. The ministry is looking at introducing some animals into an open system up there. SRT has been asked to set up a rhino ranger cohort, and we're busy putting in some infrastructure for a field base and essentially replicating the Kuneni experience in Nyanyai, so using rhino rangers to um, seek out and monitor black rhinos. For SRT as a whole, uh, what we're looking at is, is, is to try to motivate and facilitate more conservancy engagement um, and responsibility, financial responsibility sure. in the Rhino Ranger program. The Ranger program has been in existence now for 10 years. Sure. Some conservancies, um, through a lot of support from SRT, are receiving significant income from Rhino tourism. And we'd like to try to see whether we can motivate the conservancies to invest more of that money into Rhino conservation. Um, final question. Yes. If people would like to support SRT, having heard what you've spoken about, having heard from the rangers on the floor, how can they set about doing that? So we have obviously all of the social media platforms. Um, I'd encourage people to search out uh, Save the Rhino Trust Namibia.org. You can get in touch with us there via, via email um, or you can reach us through David Shepherd, Wildlife Foundation, who has been an absolute stunning supporter of SRT for the last 30 odd years, I think, mm -hmm. uh, since w way before my time. So a number of different channels, um, but Google search Save the Rhine Trust Namibia and uh, you'll be able to find us there. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Andrew. Much appreciated. I've had a wonderful week out here in the desert, so indebted. Thanks so much, David. Yeah, it was fantastic to have you out, um, to cook on some stones, literally, <laughs> and to meet you, get to know you a bit better. Um, it was great, great having you, and uh, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. And that is a mere snapshot of my time spent in the desert with the black rhinos and the communities that are protecting them. A huge thank you to all who agreed to speak with me for this episode. Andrew, Leslie, Cissé, Denzo especially, and to Tommy and Pete, who you will hear much more from in the next week's Addendum bonus episode. Two viewpoints that couldn't be more different and yet couldn't be more united in their objectives. A special thanks again to Andrew for organising my time in the Kanani, for answering literally every stupid question I threw at him, and for rescuing me from the ravenous lettuce-eating porcupine population of Ochivarongo. You will also have heard Andrew mention one of SRT's funding partners, the UK-based David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation. You may even recall me interviewing their CEO, Georgina Lamb, a few seasons back, which is still online and well worth heading back into the Trees of Crowd archives for. But it was with David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation's COO, Roddy, that I made this trip. And since coming back to the UK, Georgina and Roddy have asked me to serve as an ambassador for their splendid organisation. As with the SRT, DSWF champions smaller-focused conservation organisations across almost every corner of the globe. 
I think the work they achieve is quite incredible and I am very proud to be an ambassador for them. So as always, head to treesacrowd.fm to learn more about them, this and all else besides. So unless you support us on Patreon, in which case I will see you there in 30 seconds time, I will see you all next week for more rhinos. Bye bye. Oh, the oak and the ivy. Oh, the oak and the ivy. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.